The Old Testament reading is from the book of Isaiah. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see, they all gather together, they come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant, your heart shall thrill and exult, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you, the wealth of the nations shall come to you, a multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense, and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please rise for the reading of the gospel. The Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly and with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Well, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Do you like hero movies? Anybody like to watch superhero movies? Yeah, I, I liked watching uh, one of my when when it first came out there in the lower left when Superman first came out. Man, that I was like that was a fascinating movie to me. I loved that movie. And there's a common theme that happens in many super superhero movies. You see, our hero does not start out the way that he is, our hero often starts out as just a helpless, weak individual. So like, for example, the Hulk, I mean, he's just, you know, Dr., what's his name? Banner, yeah, Bruce Banner. He's just like kind of a geeky guy. Same way with Spider-Man, just a geeky kid. Superman, Clark Kent, I mean, he started out as a little baby. Luke Skywalker from Star Wars just started out as a little kid on Tatooine. There is this common theme of a weak 
hero, but we love it. We love the idea that the weakling can kind of overcome and, and we're rooting for the underdog. We want them to succeed, to be victorious. Well, it's kind of what we see in our story today from Scripture. It's the Epiphany story. Now, this weekend is, is the weekend we celebrate Epiphany. It was actually on Thursday. And if you do the math, you don't have to do the math, but if you want to, you can count 12 days of Christmas. And then the first day after that is Epiphany. And we keep the lights up all the way through Epiphany because Epiphany means um, revealing or uh, a shining. So the, the light of Christ has come into the world, but also we think about the light that Becca talked about, the light that led the wise men to go and see Jesus. So this is the weekend in the church year when we, we look at Epiphany, this, this story. And if, if you know, you know, you've probably heard it before, some teacher taught you that the wise men were not with the shepherds, they weren't at the stable, they weren't at the manger. It says that the wise men found Jesus at a house. And if you've been to Bethlehem, there's a good chance it didn't happen in Bethlehem because if you've been to Jerusalem, I've been there before, Jerusalem and Bethlehem are like two miles apart. It's like going from here just up to Westfield at, at Clay Terrace or, or down to 96th Street. It's not very far, okay? So to follow a star just right out of Jerusalem probably wasn't the case, but he, he was in a house. So he was still a child, and, and the Bible actually uses a different word for infant than it does child. They met him as a child. They don't describe Jesus as an infant. But not to ruin your story, and what some people do with their epiphany or with their uh, um, what's that, nativity scene is they'll take the wise men and they'll put them like way far away, like on the other end of the room or something. And you can kind of bring them closer if you want. Like today, they can be there. It's okay. It's, it's like... You know, people get kind of bent out of shape about that stuff. It's not a big deal. The story, though, is the story of kind of pomp and circumstance. We have the, these regal characters. Actually, as we heard in the Old Testament, these characters were, um, it was prophesied that, that from far nations, far away, that people would come and bring gifts to the Savior. Actually, they named the gifts frankincense and myrrh. I mean, that's pretty specific. Um, so we have this, all of, these, uh, all of this focus and attention on this little child, on somebody that we go, what's the big deal? I mean, there's, there's a chance that he was in Nazareth already when they went to go find him. And, and they go to this, this place and they find this, this child and you say, what's the big deal? This is just a kid. I mean, what's going on? Part of the reason that it's hard for us to imagine the feelings that people might have had around this is because we've heard the story hundreds of times. I mean, all throughout our lives, we've grown up with the Christmas story, and so we know the story. It's about God coming in this form of a little child, of a baby. But when you think about it, is this really how you would have done it? I mean, if you were going to bring salvation, if you're going to create, you're going you're to make things right, God has an opportunity. Is what he's going to do is he's going to take all of the sin of the world and he's going to wipe it away and he's going to bring about a new creation and he does it through the weakest form possible, through a child. And when you think about children, especially in those times, children were, were not really highly valued. I mean, they, they were 
extremely, um, well, like all babies, they're very dependent on others. They can't do anything for themselves. I mean, in that culture, babies were cared for, but they were only valued because of their future contributions to the family. They had no particular standing in society. So for the wise men to come and bow down before a child, it doesn't make a lot of sense. It's not like this child was the clear heir to any throne. I mean, they ask Herod, who's going to be the king? And it reminds me of the, the story of our current day royals that some of us follow in England. When Prince Charles had to wait to be the king, he had to wait 73 years to be the king. I mean, they knew he was going to be king, but it was taking for, actually, he's the longest, um, it's, it's the longest that any monarch has ever had to wait in history to take the throne. 73 years. So he's 73 years old, and if he lives as old as his mother, he's only going to be king for 23 years. I mean, she died when she was 96. So he doesn't have a very long path in front of him. And when you think about the history of kings, to wait 73 years is actually miraculous because in the past, if you were an heir to a throne, you were in danger. It was not a good thing to be heir to the throne throughout history. Lots of future kings and queens were, were done away with by their enemies or those within. So Jesus is this child, an heir to the throne that no one knows about. And he's a helpless baby. That's how he comes to us. This was a stumbling block for the Jews. It says in John 6, 42, the, the Jews said, we know where he's from. We grew up with this kid. And over in Israel, the area that Jesus grew up in around the Sea of Galilee, it's very small. The Sea of Galilee is, is really small. And you think, how could, I mean, people knew each other. Jesus didn't just pop up on the scene. They grew up with him. And so you wonder, God, what are you doing in this backwater town with this child from this teenage mother and this young carpenter? How could you use him? I mean, wouldn't you want like this strong warrior? Like in Islam, Muhammad was a strong warrior. He rose to power because of, of his ability to, to lead battle. And, and he said that God revealed things to him. We have a hero that, that came as a child. Some Christian theology over the years has, has done what's called adoptionism. And back in the Middle Ages, when the King Arthur stories and all that were coming out, there were some that tried to make Jesus like a knight and his 12 disciples like the knights of the round table. And they tried to rewrite history to, to kind of make, make it maybe be more believable for people that the Savior would actually have some kind of power. Because to, to tell others about a Savior that came in weakness just didn't seem to make sense. But God chose a baby. He's actually following a pattern that God did over and over throughout Scripture. If we look at the Old Testament with Abraham and Sarah, if you were going to pick a couple to be the mother and father of your future people, would you pick, would you pick people in their 90s past their childbearing years? No, this is like the worst couple to ever choose to be the, the parents of your future people. Moses, if you had to choose somebody to go and speak on behalf of your people before Pharaoh, you probably wouldn't pick Moses because Moses said he couldn't speak very well. 
He wanted his brother to do it, but God chose somebody who wasn't a good speaker. If you wanted to choose a mighty warrior for your people to battle against your enemies, you wouldn't pick Gideon. Gideon was the weakest person in the weakest clan, and when God finds him, he's hiding. He's hiding because he's afraid he's going to be attacked, and God calls him a mighty warrior. And when you read the story of David, when God chose David, the, the prophet went to David's house and David's father showed him all the other brothers and, and he said, there's got to be somebody else. Well, David, he's the weakest. He's out back taking care of the sheep. God is following the pattern of how he chooses his hero. And what is he doing in this? What is God teaching us? Well, as we talked about, babies arrive with nothing. They have no knowledge. They have no abilities. They are completely dependent. And when Jesus came as a baby, Jesus was no different. It says in Scripture that he submitted to the will of the Father. And everything that we see Jesus do later on is what he receives from the Father. John 5.19 says, The Son of Man came to do only what he sees the Father doing. By carrying out his plan of salvation in this way, with this child, God is inviting us to be completely reliant and dependent upon him. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says it this way, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us the wisdom of God That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So what can we learn today from this this epiphany story, this this child, this this weak hero that is worshipped by the wise men? What does God want us to learn today? First of all, God is inviting us to be completely reliant upon him. When we try to do things on our own, we fall short. It's, uh, what are we, seven days in? How many of you are keeping your New Year's resolutions? You know, yeah, you are good. Good, I was gonna start eating better, and it was like, I'll start on Monday, you know, and I'll, I'll start next week. If I completely try to rely on myself, I can't do it. I fall short. It's, it's so much more true in our faith. We can't do this without what Christ has done for us. God wants us to rely on his strength, not ours. Second of all, God still continues to come to us in simple ways. You're not going to see fireworks and you're not going to see crazy angels and all kinds of things that God is doing to bring his message. No, his message comes through simple preaching. It comes through simple water in baptism. It comes through simple bread and wine in Holy Communion. God continues to come in simple ways to his people. Third, I think we'd learn that we are actually caught up in this story of eternal truths 
Because there's something in us when we see that, that underdog, the one that, that we thought was going to lose. There's, there's a, a truth to those stories that echo the truth of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. There's something in us that, that longs for that. And we are a part of that. Through what Christ has done, he has invited us into his story of redemption. How he has overcome our greatest enemies of sin and death and the devil. And finally, this baby is inviting us into a new relationship that will last forever. As we start out a new year, it's a good time to think about new life. I just saw somebody posted on Facebook, some of their tulips are coming up through the, through the ground because it got warm a little bit. You know, we're, we're starting to think about new life. And what we receive in this Savior again this year is, is exactly what we need. He comes to us with his life. And so God is inviting us into that relationship. And we're thankful today that God chooses the weak, that this is how God works because it's like us. It's who we are. We don't deserve what God has done for us. We don't deserve God's grace. And God's ways sometimes seem foreign to us. Sometimes we don't like the stories that we see in the Bible, like the stories of the prodigal son where the the one who wasted everything, the father still lavishes his love upon him. We're like the older brother. Or maybe we're, we're a little bit resentful about those workers that showed up at the last hour that get paid exactly what the workers did that showed up early in the day. Or the tax collector, the sinful tax collector that gets praised by Jesus over the religious person for their prayer. Sometimes we don't like the way God works, but we are thankful that God shows his love and grace to us because we are the weak. We are the ones that need his love and his grace. And God has used a child to bring that to us. He's come in his weakness to show his love. And in our weakness, he makes us strong. Amen.